All right, grab your Bible this morning and open it to Ephesians chapter 3. On December 31st, we announced our new spiritual growth question for 2024. Some of you were here, some of you might not have been here, so let me just remind you of our question. For those of you that weren't here, our new question is, am I all in for Jesus? Okay, am I all in for Jesus? And prayer and fasting is a great way for us to start answering this question for ourselves. Am I all in for Jesus? And each of us are sacrificing and denying something in our lives for Jesus. And we're, what we're doing is we're showing Jesus, we're telling Jesus, hey, I'm all in for you in this area of my life. And I want to be all in for you in every area of my life. And that really pleases the Lord. And it really helps us as well as we begin to just continue to walk with Christ and grow in him. And so prayer and fasting is one of those things that really, really helps with that. And that's why we kind of launch each year in this 21 days of prayer and fasting and study about prayer and study about fasting and just dedicate our lives to him. And so this morning, I'd like us to look at um, a prayer in the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter three. Throughout scripture, you will notice Old Testament and New there are lots of really great prayers in the scriptures. Different people that pray different things at different times, some good, some challenging, all over the map as far as prayer goes. And this morning, I want to look at one of the prayers in Ephesians. Paul prays two prayers in the book of Ephesians. There's one in chapter one and there's one in chapter three. Both of them are highly profound, just totally awesome for our growth and our walk in Christ. Uh, and I want to focus on the one in chapter three this morning. Uh, just so you know, I, I was going to do both of them, chapter one and chapter three. And as I was writing my message, I realized once uh, I had done it and kind of put all my words on the page that it was about three and a half hours. <laughs> so I decided maybe I better just do one. So we'll be here for the, about the next hour and a half. So we're good. Uh, next service, we'll just have to kind of trickle in as they get here. Um, but no, seriously, we are going to launch in. Um, I will try to attempt to do a miracle this morning, and that is pretty short. So uh, let's pray and jump into chapter three of Ephesians together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to uh, the things that are in this prayer, and in particular, the two things that Paul is really trying to communicate for us as followers of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, Ephesians chapter three, we're gonna look at verses 14 to 21. Paul says this. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now there are two major themes. I hope maybe you picked them up. There, there are two words that are repeated over and over again in this prayer, but two major themes in Paul's prayer that guide his thoughts for his, the followers of Jesus Christ, you and I. Now in particular, for the church in Ephesians when he wrote it, but extended to you and me today in 2024 as the people of God, Amen. And so this morning, I want us to see something that Paul was praying for the church then, but I am firmly confident that is applicable to us today and that the Holy Spirit wants to infuse in each of us individually and corporately as a body of Christ and Cheney. Paul is praying for two things, and they're guiding his thoughts about the church. And the two things are this, power and love. Paul is praying for the power of God and the love of Christ to accomplish a great work that the Spirit wants to do in us individually, but also in us corporately and also in us globally as those who are the followers of Jesus Christ, extending the gospel of Jesus to the world around us. See, the power and love of God are closely connected in Paul's heart and in his mind for those of us that serve Christ. They're intertwined in our lives in a very, very deep and daily way, Paul says. God's design is that we would live in his power to love ourselves, to love each other, and to love the world. Because living this way honors Jesus and makes him known to everyone. See, this prayer gives us three specific ideas about God's power in our lives and three specific ideas about God's love. So let's first look at the text and look at what it says about God's power. There are three verses that talk about God's power. Verse 16, verse 18, and verse 20. Look at them with me. Verse 16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, in your inner being. Verse 18, may you have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And then verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now the first thing Paul prays for the church is that we would be strengthened with power. Strengthened with power, but not just strengthened with power, strengthened with power through the Spirit. And not just strengthened with power through the Spirit, but strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. Now, all of us need strength, amen? Like we all need it. We all need strength to live all in for Jesus. We need strength to walk out of our brokenness into the spiritual health that God has for us. We all need strength to stand against the temptations of our world. And sometimes there are seasons that you need strength just to get out of bed to make it through the day. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Like, there are days like that, aren't there? There are seasons like that where it is just tough to get out of bed. How many of you had that this week when it was minus four? 
I did, yes, that was me. Like, these covers are warm. My wife is warm, I'm staying right here. And I need strength to do that. Strength is given to us by power through the Spirit, Paul says. Now, in particular, this is a very, very important part and understanding of our faith in Christ. Because we don't receive power through ourselves. There's no power in me that helps me live for Christ as well as the person of the Holy Spirit. See, the person of the Holy Spirit that resides in you and resides in me as we believe in Jesus Christ is the power that you and I need to live for Christ. Now, this is a huge part, by the way, a huge part of God's plan for mankind and why Jesus came to earth. In John chapter 14 through chapter 16, Jesus spends those three chapters talking just to the disciples and he says things like this, it's good that I'm going away so that the Holy Spirit can come into your life and help you live for me. And don't worry, he'll remind you of everything that I've taught you and he'll help you understand and live in a powerful way for me and be a witness for those around you. So as Jesus was preparing for the cross and preparing for the resurrection and preparing for the ascension, he was also preparing for the disciples for something that was most important in their lives and that was to live in the Holy Spirit and in his power. See, he wanted us to give everything. He wanted to give us everything. I'm I'm saying God wanted to give us everything that we needed to live a righteous and a godly life while we are here on earth. And so he gave us Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The cross allows the forgiveness of God to flow into our lives like like we talked about this morning through the communion. And the forgiveness of God, the cleansing of our spirit and our soul and our mind and our heart that all of that forgiveness allows the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and empower us with strength and live inside of us. Now this strength and this power that is ours through the Spirit, Paul says, is deep in us. Okay, he said it's in our inner being. It's not just on the surface of our lives. It's deep in our soul, helping us through every moment of life and every storm that comes our way. It's not something that comes and goes or fades with time. The Holy Spirit is strong, powerful. He's like an inner compass that guides our lives to be like Jesus and to live for him. It's deep. It's a very, very deep thing. The Holy Spirit is deep in our inner being, giving us strength and power to be all in for Jesus. The second thing Paul says was that we would have power together with all the Lord's holy people. So after we understand this idea that we live in the power of the Holy Spirit individually, then he says, but you also live in the power of the Holy Spirit corporately as a church, as a group of people that are doing life in Christ together. So the power through the Spirit is for each of us individually, but it gets even stronger when we live in community together as the church, in relationship with one another. As we strive to be holy people that are living out the plans and purposes of God together, the power of God in us grows and becomes more powerful and influential in the world around us. Let me give you an example. It's kind of like a draft horse. 
right? You're like a draft horse, right? You have this strength in you. You have this power in you. That's kind of like you. And one draft horse can pull about somewhere between about two and 8,000 pounds. But you put the two draft horses together and they can pull somewhere between 18 to 20 to maybe even 30,000 pounds. So see, together they can pull a lot more than they can individually. And there's something just really cool about two to four large draft horses pulling a giant cart of beer, right? There's just something about that. Put a dog on the front of it and you just like, you know, you're in between one football play and another and there's a bunch of horses pulling a cart. It doesn't get much better, right? It's just like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's live like that again. And then it gets cold outside and you say, no, I want my car and my heater. See, one of us could represent Jesus in a powerful way in our workplace or at home or at play or in the playground or wherever we go. But corporately, together, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can share Jesus to our entire city, to our entire county. We can impact different places on the planet with our giving to missionaries and our support for missionaries and our support for projects. Together, we can do a lot for the gospel of Jesus Christ, a lot more than we would do or be able to do separately. Let me give you an example of that just that's happening right here at Cheney Faith Center. Last week, uh, April and Rebecca were telling us as a staff, they had over 80 children in Faith Kids last week in the Faith Kids wing, right? That's awesome, isn't it? So let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if you would like to try to teach 80 kids by yourself. Okay, nobody in the room. Okay, just wondering, just wondering. Some, some people are just like, they're up for a challenge. They're like, yeah, I'm all in. 80 kids, is, I'm on my, right? No, nobody's doing that. Of course not. But together, can all the volunteers and faith kids do an awesome job together to discipline our kids well and to, not discipline, to disciple our kids well? Those words are very similar, like they're similar, right? Back there, what they're doing is just, they're disciplining your kids, right? They've seen that we're not doing it, so they're doing it for us, right? That's what's happening back there in the faith Discipling our kids. I'm gonna have to use a different word because that one's gonna go bad again next service, I'll bet. Right, and they're doing it specifically. There's specific classes for twos and threes and threes and fours and kindergartners through third graders and fourth and fifth graders. It's all being done intentionally and purposefully because there's a team of people doing it together. Same thing happens on Thursday nights. There's 75 to 150 kids here. Who wants to teach 100 middle schoolers by yourself? Nobody. Nobody, yeah, I struggle with two, yeah, that's right. Uh, nobody wants to do that, right? But together, the AMP team does that on Thursday night. And you should be here on Thursday night sometime. It's, it's an amazing thing of chaos. I was gonna use beauty there, but then I reframed it. I was like, yeah, it's both, it really is. It's chaos and beauty at the same time. It's actually quite awesome, to be honest with you, because the AMP team does such a good job. They are so awesome, and you could be a part of that team too if you'd like to be. You could also be a part of the Faith Kids team if you'd like to. Yes, another shameless plug. Paul's simple idea is that the power of God is on display, on display in our relationships. The power of God is on display in our community. 
That's what happens in the way we serve, in the way we love one another, in the way we care for one another and take care of one another's needs when we have them, in the way that we forgive. See, the church is meant to be the model of forgiveness in the world. When the world sees us forgiving one another when we mess up and when we hurt one another, it sends a very, very extremely powerful message of love and forgiveness of who Jesus are when somebody else in the room that knows we've offended each other and we're sitting next to each other in church worshiping Jesus together and crying and laughing and doing life together, that sends an extremely powerful message of the forgiveness of Christ. See, the power of God is on, display, on display in the way we do real, authentic relationships together. Everyone in the world is looking for that, aren't they? Everyone in the world is looking for real, authentic relationships that aren't fake, and I can share everything of myself, and they can experience that here because they see that in us first. See, together, we show the power of God that is at work in us. Which brings us to the third thing. Paul prays about power and that it would live in us, within us. According to his power that is at work within us. This is Paul's prayer. Paul prays for the people of God and what he prays is that God's power would be at work within us. Now he also says this, God's power is immeasurable. And that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or that we could imagine in verse 20. That's the beginning of the statement. What, what Paul is saying is, here's what you need to know. God's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. He can do, in fact, he can do immeasurably more. Something that you couldn't even measure or comprehend or understand, that's what God does and that's what God can do. But what's amazing is the next phrase, the next phrase is this one that I want to, want to point out. Paul says, according to his power that is at work within us. So now what Paul is saying is the immeasurable power of God that wants to move on the planet is in you. It's in you. It's in us. It's in us corporately. It's in us individually. And it needs to get out. See, what's truly amazing is that what God wants to do, the awesome things he wants to do will happen in us and through us because God is at work. See, the God of power is redistributing power. That's what's happening in the New Testament. That's what happens at the cross and through the resurrection. God redistributes his power through you. That's how the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of God and the love of Christ gets, gets disseminated to the world through you. The power of God can also be in us just like it was in Jesus. The power to forgive, power to heal, impart wisdom, to love, to give grace, to show mercy, on and on. It's in us. This is incredibly profound but true. If you believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit lives in you, and that means the power of God lives in you too. The trick is to let God's power out. 
The trick is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The trick is to walk in the Lord's strength instead of our own. His power is at work within us. So Paul prays something extraordinary about God's power working in and through our lives to glorify Jesus. The challenge is to believe them and then live them. The next three things Paul prays are about love. Look at them with me. There in verses 17, 18, and 19. Paul first prays this. I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. I pray that you would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And lastly, I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. First, Paul prays a very foundational concept that God desires for our lives, that we would be rooted and established in love. Now, Paul could have said anything. We could have, that we would be rooted and established in faith that we would be rooted and established in hope, or we would be rooted and established in judgmental thoughts. I mean, he could have said anything, right? But what did he say? That we would be rooted and established in love. So Paul is saying these two very, very important things that I think conceptually for us as followers of Christ are things that we need to understand. They need to guide our thoughts, our actions, our words, our attitude, all of it rooted and established in love. This is the Greek word risa, and it means root, it, just like you would think it means. It means like a tree root, a, a root. The idea is exactly what you would surmise. The, the tree roots are the base of the tree, right? They, they keep the tree upright. They keep the tree strong, but they are also what bring the nutrients into the tree to help the tree be strong and to live and to thrive and to grow and to be a really, really important part of a forest, right? That's what happens and that's what the roots do. Now God's word in Paul's prayer is telling us that as followers of Jesus, we are called to make love our life. We're called to make love the base of our life, the foundation of our life. Love is the root of our lives. We live on love. We get the nutrients from God that we need and from the Spirit through the love of God, through the love of the Spirit, through the love of Christ, because God is love, right? All of that is happening through this root system. Now, in particular, I think there's something cool, and I think if Paul were to use a tree in particular, he probably would have used a redwood tree, you say, Mark, why a redwood tree? What's so particular about a redwood tree? Well, redwood trees are interesting. They kind of fulfill the idea of the scripture of what Paul is saying here. Redwood trees, as you may know, are one of the largest trees, one of the tallest trees. They can grow super tall. So you probably think, well, their root system must be enormous. I mean, it must go super, super deep. Not true. Here's what's interesting about a redwood. A redwood's roots will go about 
20 feet down in the ground, which you say, well, that's pretty far, isn't it? Well, not for a tree that's 100 feet tall, right? I could easily tip over. But their roots can go 80 feet horizontally. And guess what they do when they go sideways? They grab onto the roots of the other trees. Is it clicking? Did the light bulb just go on? It's exactly what we're supposed to be like. You're like a tall redwood. But you don't, you don't stand there alone. We stand there together as God's holy people in the power of God, in the love of God. So we become like a redwood tree forest that are all connected together, that are standing strong and powerful in the love of God and in the love of Christ. But we're all connected. So if you could look underground, all those trees are connected to each other. And that's what makes them so strong and that's what makes them not fall over. And that's where they get their strength from one another because they're rooted and established in love. Paul also says this, uses this word established. It's the Greek word familios and it means foundation. It means the foundation of a house or a building, something that you're going to build and you need to make that foundation strong so that as you go up, it, it doesn't fall down. Jesus used this word in Matthew chapter 7 Verse 25, when he said, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The writer of Hebrews used the word in chapter 1, verse 10, and said, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth. See, this is a very strong word. What Paul is saying is that the foundation of our lives should be built on love. Loving God, loving yourself, loving others. The foundation of our life. The roots of our lives should go into the love of God. Paul also said this in Corinthians, three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. See, love is everything. We are rooted in it, and it's the foundation of our lives. Second, Paul prays an important idea for us to believe about love. An idea, a concept, a theology about love that you and I need to understand. He said, I want you to grasp something. I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ Jesus. Now the word grasp is a good one here because what Paul is saying is, um, I want you to hold on to love tightly because the word grasp, that's what it means. It means to hold on to something tightly and to not let it go. You, you grasp it with all of your strength so you don't drop it. You, you grasp something to keep it close to you. We need to grasp the love of Jesus that is wide and long and high and deep. We need to hold on to it and we need to keep it close, right? We need to keep it close. So we grasp Jesus' love because we never want to let it go. We want it to be in our lives all the time and we want to understand it. We want to grow in it. We want it in us, but we also want it overflowing out of us. So if we could measure Jesus' love, 
like Paul says. He's, he's also getting into some terminology about measurement, right? It's wide, it's long, it's high, it's deep, right? Those are all measurements. And so what, what Paul is saying is if you could measure Jesus' love, it would be the widest, the longest, the highest, and the deepest thing that we could measure. It's, it's in other words, what Paul is saying is if we could measure Jesus' love, here's what we would discover. It is the most powerful thing in the universe. That's what it is. It's the most powerful thing in the universe. The psalmist said this as well in Psalm 36, verse five. He said, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Now, let me just explain why this would, in particular, be important to the psalmist at the time that he wrote it, because he wrote before technology, before telescopes, before any modern measuring device, before any of that, the most profound and gigantic thing in people's minds and distance in particular were the heavens. So the thing that would be like, if you're standing on the planet and it's night, you would say the furthest thing away is what? Like that star. I don't even know how far away it is, but it's gotta be a long ways away. Look at how far the moon is. I mean, so you wouldn't use a measurement on earth because that is somewhat close. You can predict it, you can measure it. If you wanted to talk about something that was immeasurable, you would say what? Well, it's, it's gotta be as far as that star. I don't even know how far that is because I don't have a telescope or any measuring device to use that, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be far. I mean, we're sending right now, we're sending satellites and different things out into space right now to take pictures, and they've been gone for like 50 years, and they're not even close to anything yet, and they won't be for another 50,000 at the rate of speed that they're traveling, and they're sending back the most profound and cataclysmic pictures that we've ever seen from space <laughs> that all point to the awesomeness of our God, but should also help us understand the immeasurable, gigantic, powerful love of Christ Jesus for us that we are meant to pour out to the world. But we have to grasp it first. We have to understand it. To grasp Jesus' love means that we choose to hold tightly to Jesus' Love. F.F. Bruce in his commentary about Ephesians says this about grasping God's love. He says the disclosure of this mystery of God's love is the heritage of all the people of God. It is fitting that they should have an intelligent appreciation of it. There may be the further thought that the deep things of God are more likely to be apprehended by his children in fellowship one with another rather than in isolation. Folks, we must grasp Jesus' love in the context that it is for us individually, 
but also in the context of you and I understanding love corporately because we never really understand love in its fullness until we begin to love one another, amen? In fact, one of the ways that we understand the love of God the most is we look at how God loves us, right? And then we often miss out on the fact that that's how we're also going to experience love on this planet is by loving one another. Through our hardships, through our great times, through our joys and our failures, that we love one another. That's where we really get the richness and the deepness of the love of God to come into our lives as we do this together. Third, and lastly, Paul prays that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge and be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now this is good. The only way that we can be filled with the fullness of God is by being rooted and established in love. By grasping the depths of Jesus' love and never letting go, and by trying our best to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Now in particular, Paul says two really important things here about knowing God's love in our brain. The first thing he says is this. It's important for us to have a good general knowledge of God's love, right? You and I need to have a good general knowledge of God's love. That's why Paul says, know this love. Know it. Understand it. Paul will often tell us that the deep things of our faith in Jesus need to not only be experienced daily and believed by faith, but also known in our knowledge, known as something wise in our life. In other words, seek to understand with your mental capacity the depths and the riches of God's love. Understand the theology of God's love. Understand that God loved the world so much he left heaven and died on a cross for you and me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not only the greatest story ever told, it's also a deep truth that we understand with our mind because it's proven and factual. So Paul is saying, I want you to know love that way. I want you to know it in your mind because it's true, it's proven, it's factual, and yes, God really did leave heaven and come here. These are facts that you can base your thinking on so that when the enemy of your soul attacks your mind and attacks your thinking, you have the knowledge of the love of God in your mind to defeat the enemy who is attacking you. So first of all, Paul says, you and I need to have a good base understanding and mental capacity and knowledge of the depths and the riches of God. So first of all, Paul says, know this love. But then he says something totally different. He says, know this love that surpasses knowledge. Okay, oxymoron. What? Wait a second, first you said, know the love, and then you said it surpasses knowledge. So which is it? Do we know it or not know it? It's both. It's both. 
See, that's what's so great about God, right? It's never either or, it's both and all the time. Here's what Paul is saying. It's important for us to have a good general knowledge of God's love, but second, God's love will often confound our knowledge. There will be times that God will ask you to operate in his love that goes beyond your thinking. Now, Pastor Mark, when? It's all over the place. Like when God tells you to forgive someone 70 times seven, you're going, boom, I would never do that. That's not in my thinking. That's surpassing my thinking. That's going way beyond my thinking because I, I would never have that thought on my own. My thought would be what? Hammer their head. Bam. Right? That's my thinking, right? Fist, face. That, that's my thinking, right? But God's knowledge, God's thinking about love is what? No. Pray for your enemy and bless those that persecute you. God's love tells us to turn the other cheek when someone strikes you. What? That's not what I'm thinking when somebody punches me in the face. God's love tells us to give someone our coat when it's four below when they've sued us for our shirt. What? God's love tells me to watch my words and what I'm saying with my mouth. I never think that. God's love tells me to give my life for my friends. Right? On and on. These crazy things that God tells us to do in the name of love. What's Paul saying? Those are the things that surpass knowledge. They don't make sense in our thinking. But they do in God's love. They do in God's kingdom. They do in God's economic plan. They do in God's structure. They do in God's church. And they will in God's house for eternity. Because this is God's way. See, when we know God's truth in our minds and believe it in our hearts, it grows roots in our spirit. And nothing is deeper and more understood than when it's in your spirit. See, God is love. God is love. That's who he is. That, that's like the definition of God. God is love. So the last thing that Paul says is this. If you and I are gonna understand this, this love and know it and understand the surpassing knowledge of this love, and be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. We have to be filled with love because God is love. Therefore, the more we live in love and understand love, the more we will live in Christ and the more we will know the heart of God and the more we will live like God. The way we are filled with God is to be filled with love because God is love. Would you stand with me?
Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you prayed like that this week? <laughs> wow. That's a pretty powerful prayer, isn't it? Now, that's why all these 21 days, we are praying the word. Did you realize we just worked through something you could, and a way you could pray the word? Like if you want to pray this section of Ephesians this week, you can take the notes that you just took about my message. You all took notes, right? Right. And just pray the word. That's what we just did. So these things become powerful. I think this is a pretty radical prayer. I guess it'll change your life forever to live this way, to live in power this way, and to live in love this way is a completely different way to do life today. It's very countercultural. Our world's not living like this. But the people of God are called to live like this. This is how you and I, this is the bar. This is the goal for us. This is the target that we're shooting for, to live in the power and the love of God in this radical way. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you have revealed to us what it means to live in the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being for Jesus in a really, really cool way. Would you help us, Lord, to learn to surrender our lives to you, surrender our, our desires, our, our wants, our flesh, our temptations, the functions of our physical body to the spirit of the living God. To just live in that place where we live in the spirit more than in our flesh. That we're constantly in contact with the power of the Holy Spirit throughout our day and living daily for you. And Lord, would you help us to live in this love like you talked about? A radical love that is wider and higher and deeper than anything we've ever known. Help this to be our heart's cry, Lord. For ourselves and for you and for everyone around us. Would we be individuals in a church that lives in the love of God in all situations and in all ways. And Lord, that is really challenging in the day in which we live. There will be moments where we will have serious conflict about which way to go and which way to turn, but here's what we always know. Whatever we do is meant to be rooted and established in love. So Lord, help us to live that way because it's counter to our thinking. It's counter to our feelings. It's counter to our emotions. It's counter to the world that we're living in. Help us to be the representation of Jesus in this world and to live in love. We need your strength to do this, Lord. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to live this way. And so we ask you to fill us today afresh that we might live for Jesus this way. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. If you want to live that way, would you say amen with me?
Amen. Amen. Good prayer. Good prayer. Good things to say. Now you see why I didn't do chapter one and chapter three, right? Yeah, that would have been a little bit too much. All right. Thanks for being in church this morning. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.